0: And welcome to Likely True. I'm your host, Carol Lindstrom. Today, I want to take a look at sort of a future facing idea informed not only by the past several years, but particularly informed by what's been happening during these corona times. This will be focused on work life. And the long term potential and I would say likely um, results or enduring changes that we' we'll, we'll see so um there's three key things I think that um have changed and will persist, and I think they are leading us towards. Uh, a change in our overall sort of practices. Um, so the three things are uh, increased self awareness, um, the uh, adoption, um, the more commonplaceness of remote or flexible work, and the third is a more human centric work culture. Uh, I think these three things are contributing um, and moving us, perhaps, faster towards what I call the contribution economy. But first, let's dive into each of those three things. One, more self-awareness. So I think many folks may have, over the course of their experience, of the last few months of 2020 come to recognize perhaps some different traits in themselves uh that they may have not known or that they may have ignored um in years prior so that could look like um how how they work whether that's you know sitting at a desk or um being on video calls versus voice calls, um, doing things early in the morning, doing things late at night, you know, sort of sticking to patterns um, that either naturally occurred in them or that they were able to explore um, having these new constraints kind of forced upon them. Uh, This could also look like Say you had a, a morning commute or a regular commute to and from the office in the before times. You may have used this time, uh, depending on, on your mode of of commuting, to listen to podcasts, to respond to emails, to sing along to your favorite soundtracks. Suddenly, you don't have this commute, this transition period. And so you may have been disoriented. You may have also found that you had more time, which is great. Uh, But what did you do with that time is also part of that self-awareness. And it may have taken various cycles, iterations to go from recreating how you had worked to what may be working for you now even if you might not describe it as ideal. Um, Particularly on the not ideal, that might look like because your world has been compressed and so your work life and your home life and your social life all happen in the same space. Um, Your school children online while you're also in meetings online, right? So there may be a self-awareness there of of what you you need to get by, right, so to go back to that commute uh, example, say you walk to work, um, you may have over time recognized that you weren't missing that transition that commute provided you, what you were missing was the physical activity, so during the corona period, maybe you've found other ways to weave in that physical activity into your day. Maybe not at the beginning of the day and at the end of the day. Maybe it's a couple different times during the day. Uh, If you used to drive and you were used to singing at the top of your lungs, uh, you may have explored other ways of uh, connecting with music, that sort of emotional ventilation (laughs) of that sort of experience. So that's what I mean by more self-awareness. Again, I don't think everyone necessarily has been able to explore or recognize the changes uh, that they've made and or need to make. But generally speaking, I think people, um, because we've been in this for as many months as we have, have had time to adapt and adjust and tweak um, to the limits of their the context allows for them. And... I think those, that time period has been sufficient, that that um, is likely to endure, even if they are able to go back to work, even if their kids are able to go back into school, etc. So greater self-awareness. Second piece, this um, more shared experience, um, greater option to opt into remote first or flexible schedules. Now, again, these were things that have existed prior, but maybe weren't widely um, available at a variety of employers, they may have been um, reticent in terms of how to manage that, how it would affect the culture of the team of the organization, Um, there may have been concerns of, you know, uh, collaboration, etc. But We've, you know, been sort of forced into this. And and now you see examples of, you know, companies that are saying, hey, we're going to be remote through the end of the year. We're going to be remote through 2021. We've, you know, canceled our our leases. I think those will be exceptions and not the rule. Um, I think there will be a lot of people who are more interested in getting back into, um a work environment with their colleagues but I think this remote sort of flexible work life also you saw other changes so there are organizations who may have previously you know done um, summer Fridays you know and so in the summer you know Fridays were a half day or every other Friday wasn't a work day or um, you know variations on that may have evolved uh, during the corona period for people who said, hey, you know what? There's a lot going on in the world and in your family, um, in your lives. So Friday is your day um, to do what you need to do. We just ask that it is not uh, meetings and that it is not um, you know, asking something of your colleagues. So it is work as you need to work, whether it is for the company, the organization, uh, yourself, uh, your family, whatever needs doing, Friday is all you. You decide. So there are a lot of variations on what remote and flexible can look like um, for various organizations, and I think that is something that will persist. There, of course, may be organizations and individuals who overcorrect back in the other direction. That is entirely Likely, right? Um, We have a tendency to do that as humans on occasion. Um, But I do think we will have more people looking for that type of remote and flexible environment. Um, And I think there will be more organizations and companies that are offering it. To that point, the third piece, more human-centric work culture. Now, it's sad that human organizations and businesses can be thought of as being able to move towards being more human-centric, but (laughs) what I mean there is uh, if you think about the sort of industrial model of you show up and you find your place on the assembly line and you do your part with the widgets and you do that for a certain period of time and you take breaks at a certain period of time, uh, that, you know, sets up a lot of sort of the broader work culture that persisted well past um, industrial being the primary source of, of income for a number of people. And as we moved into these different versions of, you know, computer-based or, um, you know, uh, digital facilitated work types Um, those work types that have been able to um, exist and persist in uh, remote work type environments. Um, But even for um, essential workers and things like this that haven't, I think you're starting to see uh, organizations um, and leaders and individuals recognizing how many systems were involved and necessary for this sort of eight hours, lunch, coffee break um, work style to exist, right? Um, It presumed the kids were going to school. It presumed um, safe travel and commute. It presumed uh, any number of factors. And when you have so much... Um, that is surfaced. That is <laughs> impacting individuals in a variety of ways. Um, we we can start bringing that into our work <laughs> and saying, "Hey, you know what? <laughs> we we need to acknowledge that we're we're fully human here, and that this isn't a factory. This isn't a." Uh, you know, assembly line. Um, there is more flexibility here. The urgency for most, if not many, <laughs> many if not most, of of this type of work um, is self-generated, right? Um, and so, I think the the forced slowing down that this did, this Corona period did, for individuals, for teams, for organizations was really painful for a lot of folks, understandably, but I think it's also necessary. Um, Myself, and I'm sure many other folks have experienced when life has handed you a sit down, slow down, and uh, you may not always want to, but often uh, when you're handed these things, it's something you need to do. And, um, I think people have, uh, many folks have used this time, as I said earlier, to become a little more aware of their own needs and their family's needs and their, you know, uh, friends' needs, right? Um, and their community's needs. And I think that, that is translating into work culture. That are, that, that will be seen, um, and will persist as, um, in in a in a variety of forms whether it's in the form of flexibility whether it's in the form of enticements uh so you know you come work for us um you know we we have a budget that we use to offer folks you know technology for remote flexible work for themselves and their families right so that your kids can have the latest you know, headsets um, so that you can both work from home if need be, right? Um, That's a really trite example, but I think this more human-centric work culture will perhaps um, be based on the evidence that we have of trusting ourselves, um, trusting each other, the importance of trust in work, and that if you have a culture of micromanagement you don't have a culture of trust if you have a culture of trust you have agency you have autonomy um you you get to bring more of yourself to the to um the the company uh the organization and i think that will be really attractive to people um not just what the organization does, but how they encourage the people to, to deliver on that, right? Um, it's, it's about the people first and helping them, uh, you know, solve the problems as, as they figure out, right? Um, it's, so many books, so many books you can read and stories you can hear and um, anecdotes, but it's the people first and that makes better organizations, uh, more satisfied clients and customers. So I think those are the three things, greater self-awareness, remote, flexible uh, type, um, work types being more common, and a more human-centric work culture. Uh, And to that end, you know, I think this brings up the, you know, the questions of reflection on the brittleness of of these systems, right, Uh, that broke, that allowed us to become more self-aware, that allowed us to think about the value, um, the risks, and the opportunities of flexible work. Um, and you know, what, what happens when we're all suddenly compressed from a, a, overlap of our personal and our professional lives, um, you know, that's untenable, but also it's an incredible opportunity, right? Uh, for your kids to see you at work and what work can look like for parents to see what school Can look like. Um, School today might be a little different than school was when they were that age. Um, Bring your kids to work day is perhaps insufficient way for uh, young people to really see what is work, how is it done, what what is it that you do all day, right? How how does this thing you do, you know. Support us, and how do you contribute to it? Right, so I think there's a real opportunity there, um, and I'm sure there are many people who will want the systems back the way they were. You know, I want my kids back in school, I want my commute, so my transition. I want to go back to my office. Um, others may have, you know, or organizations or as an individual um, adapted and have you know, either settled into uh, a this new variant or are seeking and pursuing sort of radical um ideas and and systemic alterations um for changes to continue uh and to evolve um uh, as you know we see what what's possible when we stop, <laughs> when we slow down and we say, hey, what really needs to be done? And how much energy do I actually have? How much mental capacity do I have available to the work that I want to do, the work that needs doing? Um, and how can I, you know, use that well? So all of these things, this sort of self-awareness, this flexibility, this human-centric, work, it it's, bears a striking resemblance uh, to folks who already or and for many years have been freelancers or independent contributors, right? This, this culture, you know, these were people who either started their own business, um, because of just a disconnect with the organizational structures that they found themselves in, or, um, you know, in a prior economic downturn, Uh, they were, you know, uh, unemployed and thought, what is it, what is something that I can do by myself that I can, you know, kind of chip away at until things get back until I'm able to find a job. Um, and when you're working for yourself, um, you have to be self-aware. You have to know what your habits are, what your weaknesses are. Um, you have to recognize what part of the day is the best time for you to do that heavy lift, what part of the day is best for you to do some of that more administrative stuff. Um, it's intrinsically sort of flexible, uh, you know, in terms of what does the client need? Uh, maybe you created your own business because you needed that flexibility to live the lifestyle you wanted to support your family in the way that um, suits its needs um and it is more human centric because it is born of an individual and their uh, immediate context needs so it is usually responsive by design right and that brings me to this idea of a contribution economy so Um, you think of the knowledge economy, you have the service economy, you have these ideas. And then there is this idea of a gig economy. And you have lots of people talking about the gig economy and how it's growing. And I think it is a really um, not the right way to look at it. Because I think gigs, gigs are dehumanizing. Gigs are, they are jobs. We have a thing that needs doing. Who wants this gig? has nothing to do with the individual. Uh, It has nothing to do with, I don't know, the the skills or why you would do it. Just, hey, we have this thing. Who can come in and fill this in, right? What's the peg we can put in this hole? Um, Whereas, you know, self-awareness, flexibility, and, you know, this sort of human centeredness um, is about the individual and organizations who are made of individuals recognizing uh, the needs and the interests and the curiosities that they have and saying this is the knowledge I have. These are the skills I have. This is the experience I have. This is the interests I have. I'm interested in going this way. I'm curious to know more about this. I'm I'm just started in here and I want to get to the next level. And teams and organizations saying, well, this is the problem that we're trying to solve for our constituents, our clients, our customers. And this is the capability and the capacity that we have already. And We feel like we need X, Y, and Z to, to finish that, to take it to the next level, to explore these additional opportunities to serve our constituents, our clients, our customers. And so a contribution economy is an economy of that awareness and that empathy. Of knowing oneself, um, of recognizing things in others, and that um, humility to say, here's what I have, here's what I think I'm missing, and here's how I think um, we could help each other. I could be wrong. And if we are, move on to the next thing. Um, because those skills, interests, experience, curiosities, needs um, will likely find a match somewhere else. So I think this contribution economy, again, I think we're getting there a little. We're heading in that direction. We may have sped up a little bit in that direction because of this uh, economic slowdown, ironically. But because we've been sort of forced to become more self-aware, because we've been forced to become um, embracing of this sort of remote and flexible uh, work practices, because we've been forced to think about how we can be more embracing of our full human um, cycle of needs. Um, And ultimately, I think the contribution economy will change not only uh, what's happening at work, but also connect with some of the changes that are already happening in education, right? Project-based learning, Um, these sort of apprenticeship and co-op models that um, have existed in in some high schools, certainly at at the college-university levels. Um, I think there will also be growing support and interest for um, mentorship and what that looks like, peer-to-peer, learning how to be a mentor, uh, learning how to be like a career docent, um, for, for those young folks who have gotten to see opportunities or have no idea what the opportunities are and, uh, don't know, you know, how, um, they can contribute to the things that they're interested in. Um, whether they're interested in music and, as they explore what, what all is a part of music, they find that what they really like doing is um, identifying and promoting artists. And within that, they really just like telling the story of these creators, right, which could be a path to, you know, I really like doing storytelling, and storytelling as a powerful part of so many businesses, right. So I think there are trajectories here, again, that kind of start in the, the business world, um, start in the nonprofit world, start in the, you know, these sort of larger organizations, catching up with some of what agencies and uh, independent businesses and small businesses have been doing for for a while, like that's speeding up. And also, this is starting to build those connections with changes in education that have been, you know, trying to (laughs) speed up for many years. Um, You know, you think of like STEAM, um, and again, this project-based learning, which really ties into that, um, that hybrid learning of what is valuable for students to learn are not memorization. They're not you know, specifically, you know, the formulas and the, the, the things on the test, they're about teaching how to learn, teaching how to ask questions, teaching how to search for something. How do you find something you don't know? Right? That is a lot of what people do at work in these sort of um, information, knowledge, and um, kind of service-oriented, digital-facilitated work types. So that's a lot. (laughs) Um, But I've been seeing habits and trends in these areas, whether it's the education realm um, or the professional realm. Over at least the last decade, if not before um these have been experiences um in my own life in the lives of of people I've worked with uh in the lives of uh, my own clients um and certainly I've seen evidence of it in in research in books um in uh I'm hearing elements of it in different snips in in podcasts and it's it's been a little bit of everywhere. Um, but I feel like it's really starting to coalesce and this <clears throat> period of, the, of 2020, I feel, has really um, sped up the threads to, to connect the disparate evolutions that have been happening in these different arenas and start to become a more holistic, um, enmeshed um, way of working and learning uh, for the 21st century. So um, I'd love to hear from you. Uh, what do you. What do you make of this contribution economy um, and the changes that um, have happened? What will persist? What do you think has happened within your organization? Um, and how much has it changed from a year ago? And where do you think it'll be a year from now? Um, let me know. You can, you can reach me at Likely True Pod on Twitter. Um, and, you know, leave comments and uh, join me for the next episode of Likely True.